Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. It's a blessing to see each and every one of you. I'm grateful for you, and I always love to begin just by way of reminder. It is a tremendous thing to be able to gather together in this building. The church has assembled for the purpose of making much of Jesus and studying God's Word together. And so I just want to invite you, if you have a Bible, if you would get it out at this time, or if you have a Bible app, you can open up your Bible app as well, and we are going to be in the book of Judges. It's the sixth book in the Old Testament. We're going to be in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. So that's where we're going to be at today. And you can also get out your worship guide, and you can follow along. You can take notes if you so desire, if you want to do that. But um, we're in this series, and it's entitled Hope Has a Name, and what we're doing is we're studying some of the names of God that he has revealed to us in Scripture. So I just want to do the briefest of reviews. Week number one, we saw that God declared that he is, I am who I am. He is the self-existing one. Week number two, we looked at Yahweh Rapha. He is the God who mends and cures and heals and restores. Last week, we looked at Yahweh Nisi, God is my, my, my banner, or God is my victory. Now, if you missed any one of those messages, you can go back to our app, and you can listen to them. You can also go to Facebook. Um, if you're on Facebook, every one of our nine services has a page, and on that page, you can see the, 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 the sermons. You can go back and listen to them if you so desire. But um, today, we come to another name of God as revealed to us in Scripture. Today, we're going to look at the name Yahweh Shalom, Yahweh Shalom. It's a compound name, once again, just like Yahweh Rapha, Yahweh Nisi, we now have Yahweh Shalom, and it's only used one time in the Old Testament. Now, being a compound name, you kind of have the two names, the first one being Yahweh, we looked at that week number one, it's I am who I am, I am the self-existing one. And now we have it combined with this Hebrew word Shalom. So the question is, just real quick, um, What does the Hebrew word shalom mean, right? What does it mean? Well, it roughly means, it's not quite the same, but it roughly is equivalent to the English word peace, all right? So you got Yahweh shalom, you put them together, and you have the God of peace, all right? That's what we're looking at, the God of peace. But once again, I want to make sure I say this correctly. Um, The Hebrew word shalom 
um, is not exactly the same as the English word peace. In fact, really, we don't have an exact equivalent in our language to this word shalom. Shalom is fuller, deeper, wider than the English word for peace. Just, just, just real quick, um, the English word peace basically means the lack of conflict. All right. So if I don't have conflict with you and you don't have conflict with me, in English we would say we are at peace with one another. But the Hebrew word shalom means more than that. It does mean there's a lack of conflict, but it also means kind of a complete soundness of welfare, safety and health and wholeness and, and well-being. So, so it's really much bigger than the lack of conflict. I mean, it does include the lack of conflict, but it's much bigger than that. And we have here, and this is what we want to understand, the God of the Bible, the sovereign God of the universe, has said he is Yahweh Shalom, the God of complete soundness, fullness, and a lack of, of, of conflict. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. It's going to unfold in this passage, and I believe we're going to understand the, 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 the grand of this word shalom, okay? But here's the interesting thing. Um, there's actually a lot of interesting things, but I think the overarching interesting thing, the backdrop to this, is God reveals to his people, you and I, that he is the God of peace during a time when the nation of Israel is not at peace. It's interesting how God does that. In addition, he is going to use a man named Gideon who is weak and fearful. In fact, we will see as we read the text that Gideon himself describes himself as the weakest and the least. All right? So it is in these extraordinary circumstances, in this extraordinary time in history, that God reveals to us that he is Yahweh Shalom. And so let's walk through the text and as we walk through the text, I believe the living God will illuminate us. God the Spirit, I believe, will illuminate us to the Scripture so that we will have a bigger, broader, fuller, correct understanding of what Yahweh Shalom means. So let's pick it up. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. And it is a dark time. It's a dark time for the people of Israel. And the first thing that we're going to see is Gideon's humble circumstances. That's where we begin. Gideon's humble circumstances. Let me read verse 11 to you. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the chair at Terebeth, at Ophrah, which belongs to Joash, the Abizirite, while, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. All right. Let's talk about this. We're going we're to pause here and talk about this because um, it may be lost to a degree on some of us, but um, this is really a really odd picture that the Lord has placed before us. I mean, you got a guy in a wine press, but he's not pressing wine, is he? No, he's there beating out wheat. That is odd. That is really odd because a wine press, listen, is an enclosed area. It's really a deep pit, and in that deep pit, what you do is you stamp out grapes. You don't beat wheat in a pit. In fact, you, 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 you winnow wheat, the winnowing process, and it's usually done on a hill. It's usually done out in the open because what you're going to do is you're going to take the wheat and the chaff, it's all together, and what you're going to do is you're going to throw it in the air, the wind's going to blow the chaff away, and then the seed's going to fall. It's inconceivable that anyone would try to winnow wheat in a pit. It's weird. 
That's what's going on here. The question is this. Why is Gideon doing this? Why is he in a wine press doing this? Well, really two reasons. Two reasons I think the text shows us. First reason is it's a time of persecution. It is a time of persecution in Israel. Um, In Judges chapter 6 verse 1, it says this. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years, right? So the nation of Israel, they did evil. So for seven years, they were given into the hands of the, the Midians, and the Midians are raiding them. They are plundering them. They are terrorizing them, right? They're taking their land. They're destroying their crops. They're stealing their livestock. They're killing their people. And so what happens is the people, the Israelites, they end up hiding, right? I, I, I get this to a degree. It was like me. Seriously, I thought about this. Um, it's like me in the seventh grade. Really, man, in the seventh grade, man, I was littler than the eighth graders. The eighth graders, they would pick on the seventh graders, and there's not much you can do about it because you don't have the power, so what do you do? What did I do? I found some locations to hide, so I understand. That's what Gideon's doing, man. He's like, these guys are coming against us. They're stealing the food. They're being really cruel and evil, so what I'm going to do is I am going to hide, and I am going to do my work in a place where they will not Find me or steal my food. So it's a time of persecution. But not only is it a time of persecution, it's also a time of poverty. Check this out, man. This is really a dark, dark time, desperate days. Verses 4 and 6, I'm not going to read them to you, but the Midianites, it says, left no sustenance in Israel. They take the sheep, the ox, the donkey. The Bible says they were laid very low. In addition, check out the picture. You can see it right there. Gideon is, 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 is threshing the grain by hand. That lets us know that he did not have much. He's in poverty, all right? He don't got a lot of grain to work with, all right? So it's a time of persecution, and it's a time of poverty. We're meant to see this is a sad, sad picture. It's a sad picture. God's people are in a bad place. Gideon's hiding from the enemy. He's defeated. He's frightened. The whole nation of Israel is. It's a difficult time for God's people. And maybe some here would say, I I, I can relate to that. Maybe you're here today saying, "I, I can relate to that because maybe... There's been a time when you feel defeated. Maybe you feel defeated today. Maybe there's been a time that you've been frightened and feel weak. I don't think it's that uncommon. But nonetheless, that's where we find Gideon, all right? But we're going to keep moving on. That's the the really pathetic picture we're given. But in just a moment, Yahweh Shalom is going to interrupt this really sad picture. And so we get to verse 12, and we're going to see Gideon's powerful commission. It's so beautiful. So, so you, got this, you got this guy, Gideon, and he's down in this wine, wine press, this pathetic, desperate picture. Check out the beginning of verse 12. Check it out. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. It's interesting. It's interesting. Gideon, man, all down in that wine press. He's frightened. He's defeated. But you know what? God knew exactly where Gideon was. And here's the deal. I don't care how far you might get down. I don't care how far you may try to 
run and hide, you cannot hide from God. And by the way, I think we all know it intellectually. Like we all know it is an impossibility to run and hide from God, but yet we still seem to do that. Maybe we try to hide and you think, God can't see me. God can't see me acting the fool. God can't see my sin, but he can. God knows where you're at. And I was thinking about Gideon and in his situation. And um, in my life, I have seen men do some crazy things in an attempt to hide from or run from the living God. Let me share a couple, just really two brief stories with you. You may can relate to some of these stories, but um, when we were in Africa, we were in Dar Salaam. Man, these are two crazy stories, all right? This is in Dar Salaam. There was a young man, his name was Tony. Tony went to the University of Dar es Salaam. I love Tony, I did love Tony. The deal is with Tony is Tony did not know Jesus, he didn't. So what I would do, I would do this. I would go to where he lived at, and he had some roommates and stuff, and I would share the gospel with Tony. Tony would receive it, he would hear it, but he wouldn't repent and believe. Okay, that was Tony, all right? About six months later, a year later of sharing the gospel with Tony, um, the Lord, he finally did, got to Tony. Tony repented, and he believed in Jesus Christ. God saved him, all right? Tremendous story, tremendous testimony. But, but here's what Tony told me. Tony told me this. Tony, Tony said, listen, listen Travis, he said this, Travis, do you remember when you would come to my room, and you're looking for me, then you're going to share the gospel with me? I go, yeah, I remember that. He said, I would see you coming, and I was afraid. I was afraid because I knew what you were going to say. So what I did, Travis, I hid in the bathroom. I'm like, you hid in the bathroom because you thought that by hiding from me that you could hide from God. He's like, absolutely. He said, Travis, I was scared and I was frightened. And I said, Tony, you know now. And he just laughed at it. He said, you know what? I know now I can't hide in the bathroom from God. You can't. It's crazy. It was crazy. So he'd be hiding in the bathroom. I'd be sitting there talking to his friends and he's all hiding in the bathroom. There's a second crazy story, man. There's another man, um, young man, um, I shared the gospel with. This is in Dar es Salaam. I shared the gospel with him, and God was on him in a powerful way, but yet he did not repent of his sin and believe and call upon Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. And that went on for a while, but there was one day, I'm not kidding you, man, I'm walking around at the University of Dar es Salaam, and I run into this guy, and he is about from me to maybe where the, the, this front row, row is, and... Um, we, he looks at me, his eyes lock my eyes. I'm, this is not, I'm not joking. He looks at me, I look at him, and then he takes off running. The dude runs. He runs. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, you may be faster than me, right? Like, that's not hard. You may be, even be the fastest person in your family. I, I don't know. You could be the fastest person in Dar es Salaam, but once again, nobody faster than God, Right? About a year later, I'm sitting at home. I get a little phone call. I pick up the phone, and it's this young man. This young man says, hey, Travis, tomorrow can I meet with you for lunch? I need to talk to you. I said, absolutely. You know it's true. Hang up, and my wife, she asked me, she goes, what was, what was that call about? What's going on? And I said, honey, someone about to get saved tomorrow because he's tired of running. He's tired of running, man. You can't outrun God. And so I met with him the next day. It was lunch, and the Lord did save him. Right? Once again, I don't know 
where you're at. I don't know. You got may have some friends out there hiding in the bathrooms. You may have some friends out there trying to run, hide. I don't know. But what we need to know and what Gideon sees is you can't hide, run from God. God shows up, and that's what happens here. Let's continue. Look at this. God's going to show up. God's going to show up, and God's going to talk to him. Look at, look at verse 12b, the rest of it. Here's what God, and said to him, that's God. Here we go. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Hmm. I don't know, man. Two things, two things I want us to notice here. There's some odd stuff. There's just some odd stuff going on here. First thing, notice God's promise to Gideon. Here's the promise. The Lord is with you. It literally means his power, God's power is on you. Gideon, the living God's power is on you. Now, Gideon may not could have seen it and sensed it. Sure didn't look like it. But God's power was about to be displayed in his life in a powerful way. And once again, I would just say this as well. I believe it is absolutely true of born-again believers today. Once again, we may not act like it. We may not um, live as though it's true. But when God saves you, God the Spirit indwells you, and God is with you. And you say, well, man, I... People will say things, man, I don't, I, don't, I don't feel it all the time, right? It don't appear that way all the time. And I sit there and I say, what does your feelings or appearance have to do with the word of God, right? Well, nothing. It doesn't. I don't, I don't care. God said it. It's true. Hebrews 13.5 says this to the believer, I, God, will never leave you nor forsake you. Man, you can take that to the bank. That's a foundation to be standing on, but that's a a promise to Gideon. But not only do we see God's promise, the next thing, I want you to check this out. Look at God's perception of Gideon. Look what God, 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 man, look what he says. He calls him, he goes, oh, mighty man of valor. Seriously, now what are you talking, what? God, are are you seeing what I'm seeing, God? Because I'm telling you, this does not look like a mighty man of valor to me. In fact, he looks like the exact opposite of a mighty man of valor. If you ask me to draw a picture of a mighty man of valor, it would be something exactly opposite of this picture right here. The dude's in a wine pit, hiding. No mighty man of valor, it's a head-scratcher. But here's the deal, guys, and here's what I think we need to see. God was not calling Gideon what he, God was calling, let me say this clearly, God was calling Gideon what he would become. He was not calling Gideon what he was at the time of the calling. Let me say it this way. In other words, God does not call the gifted. He gifts those whom he calls. And that's what's going on here. God comes to what we would say maybe a a nobody, and he changes him so that that nobody exalts the only somebody, and that is Jesus. Man, our God's an awesome God. 
And while you or me or others, we may see ourselves and say, I'm weak, I'm flawed, I'm a failure. God looks at us and says there is potential in Christ, not in yourself, in and of yourself, but in Christ. Christians, I think sometimes we tend to underestimate what our God can do and will do and do through the life of someone submitted completely to him. Because, listen, it is in the submitting to and the obeying of Christ that we become mighty men and women of valor. That's God's perception. So we see his humble circumstances. And by the way, we're moving. We're getting somewhere. We're going to land on Yahweh Shalom. Humble circumstances. We see the powerful commission. And this is going to lead to an interesting thing because Gideon's going to see all of this and it's going to lead to Gideon's total confusion. Like he's confused, right? I don't know. Evidently, um, Gideon, um, he looks around. He looks at himself. He looks at his humble circumstances. He thinks about this commission of God. And he's confused. He's like, this don't add up, man. This doesn't add up. And so Gideon, Gideon's got some questions for the living God. You ever had questions of the living God? Well, he's got two really specific questions. Once again, I would suspect that every one of us at one time or another might have had very similar questions. So let's look at these questions. First question, he questions God's, well, I say performance. Check it out. Verse 13, and Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are all your wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Weird, kind of. Gideon's like, hey, hey, God, hey, 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 God, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But I don't understand. Why is all of this happening to me? Like, I hear what you're saying, but why is this happening to, to, to me? Why am I in this situation? God, why am I there? In addition, he pushes in on this question. He goes, in addition, hey, God, by the way, where are all these miracles? Where are all these great things, these wonderful deeds? Where are they at, God? You ever been there? Gideon's like, hey, listen, man, 200, was it 250 years ago? Yeah, you, 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 you got us out of, of Egypt. 200 years ago, you, you parted you know, the, 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 Jordan, the Jordan River, and, and we went on dry land, and we came to the promised land. But where are you at now, God? Where are you at now? Gideon, I believe, is kind of living in what I call the spiritual good old days, right? He's looking back on things that God had done in the past, and he's saying, God, why aren't you doing those today? I call that the spiritual good old days. And the deal is, and we should be aware of this, it's really easy to get caught up in this. It is. It's easy to do. I mean, I see it even today. I run, into, I run into believers, I run into Christians, and they'll say something like this. And they'll say, Pastor Travis, I went to summer camp back in 1995, and God was awesome. God was awesome in 1995. He did all of this stuff. 
but I don't see them do anything today. Or they'll say, hey, Pastor Travis, listen, Pastor Travis, a decade ago, I went on a mission trip. I went to Mexico. God moved a decade ago. And so they just live, all their stories about God are based on an event in the past. But you ask them, like, cool, man, I'm glad God moved in 1995. I'm glad God moved on that mission trip. But what I want to know is what is God doing in your life today? And you ask them that, and they got nothing. They got nothing. But I got to tell you, the deal is, church, God did not stop working in 1995. He didn't. He's still moving. Now, if you're not seeing it, and it ain't God's fault, man, because he's moving, he's moving. And I was thinking about this. this. This is one of the reasons why we are renting McKenzie Arena. This is one reason why we're doing one day for our city. This is one day, one reason why we're bringing in David Nasser to share his story. It's, it's one reason why we got pray for one there, pray for one there. Church, do you know, I got to tell you this. I walked into this service today. An individual came up to me and they told me that their one on this board, I believe over here, the Lord saved them. Do not tell me God's not moving today. He is and we can't sit there and get caught up in the spiritual good old days. We, we celebrate it. Man, I praise God that he moved in 1995. I praise God he moved in those mission trips, but he's still working today. So that was his one question. He questions God's performance, but he's not done. He got a second question for the almighty God. He questions God's presence. Check it out, verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Check this out. You can underline it. God says, do not I send you? God's like, I'm wish with you. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, once again, check it out. But I, you can underline it, will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. When the Lord hears Gideon's question, he responds to Midian in his graciousness. And then Gideon responds by really, he questions the Lord's presence. He's saying, God, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, not, for, I'm, I'm not for sure you're seeing what I'm seeing, God. He says, God, listen, listen, God, 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 let's talk about this. God, maybe you're unaware of the fact that my father is poor. Like we're the weakest in all of Manasseh. God, nobody's going to follow me. God, I'm just informing you on some information that I don't think you got. Because if you had this information, God, you wouldn't be asking me to do it. Furthermore, God, no one in my father's house respects me. right? I'm the least in my house. So, so, so God is like, no way, God. No. God, you don't see what I see. You don't know, know what I do. The almighty, all-knowing God does not know? Anytime you find yourself in a situation where you're informing God, know that you are in sin. There is no need to inform God of anything. He knows everything. But sometimes I believe we, we get like this. Maybe God says, um, I need you to lead a small group. And you're like, no, God, you made a mistake. God, you just don't understand me. 
I'm an introvert. God, I'm not a, I don't have hospitality. God, and we list all these things. God, let me inform you of something that you have overlooked. God didn't overlook nothing. He called you. He will equip you. Maybe God says, I want you volunteering at this church service. And you're like, well, God, maybe you don't understand. It's inconvenient. Maybe you don't understand my inability. Let me educate you, God, on all the reasons why I'm not the person to be volunteering in this position once again. God, don't make mistakes. If he's calling, he will equip. And God says, well, I'll just say this. God's like, maybe you're unaware, Gideon, of who I am. Because he says, I will be with you. I think some of us can. It's easy to get like Gideon, right? We focus on ourselves and what we cannot do. But we don't focus on who God is and what he does do. Like, like it's hard. We, I sit there, I go, I mean, we, say, <laughs> we can say, God's got all the power. And we're all like, yeah, he does. That means he has all the power. It means there is no power that exists that isn't derived from his infinite power. He has all the power. And he is sovereign and he is good. And if he calls you, he will equip you. All right? So we got humble circumstances. We got a powerful commission leading to total confusion. And we're going to land on this and get to Yahweh Shalom. We see God's absolute confirmation. I love a lot of things about Gideon. One of the things I love about him is he seems to act a lot like me. All right? So um, Gideon, he's still not ready to do what the Lord has asked him to do. So he's going to do what I think many of us do. He's going to say, hey, God, give me a sign. Look at this, verse 17. And he, said, and he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Now, once again, I think, I think probably every one of us at some time in our life has done a similar thing. God, show me a sign. Right? Show me a sign. And then we make up some random litmus test, right? Like, hey, God, if the wind blows this way, it means I go that way. If the wind blows that way, it means I go that way. If I drive by a Krispy Kreme and the light turns on, it's a sign. You gotta give me a hot donut. Now, I'm not saying that it's always wrong to ask for a confirmation. I'm not saying that. But I do want us to understand that asking for a confirmation should just be one of the many pieces that we use in making a decision, the bulk of which should be Scripture and good counsel, all right? Scripture and good counsel. God may or may not give a confirmation Praise his name as he does. But we don't need to go around looking for these signs, all right? But anyway, God is kind, and look at verse 18. He can, he's patient with Gideon. Verse 18, Gideon says, Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. That's an offering. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house, and he prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and he brought it to him, that's God, under the terra beneath and presented them to him, that's God, presented them. Verse 20, and the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put it them on this rock. 
poured the broth over them, and he did so. Verse 21, then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sights. There's a lot going on here, but what I want us to see is there's two specific confirmations that Gideon receives here. First confirmation, he's confirmed by a presentation. So Gideon wants to offer God an offering, all right? And he does that. And notice, and we're not going to stick on this really long at all, but notice he prepares a goat, about 35 pounds of flour, and a pot of broth. What we're meant to see here, guys, is this is a sacrificial offering. You remember, this man been living in poverty, And now he makes a sacrificial offering. We're meant to see the transformation in Gideon, right? When the Lord found him, he's hiding, and now he's bringing this great meal offering to God, and then God accepts it, and this is a sign from the Lord that he had accepted Gideon. I mean, he already had, but this is is the sign. He's called him, he's commissioned him, he accepts his offering, his sacrifice. Likewise, real quick, I would say this. You, You desire to be used by God. I say this, do what Gideon has done. Yield to the will of God completely. Hold nothing back. Say, God, I will yield to you. God, I will worship you. No strings, no conditions, right? Yield, 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 yield to the living God. We, 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 we say we yield, but then we won't yield to church attendance. We won't yield to reading the Bible. We won't yield to prayer. And then we wonder why God's not using us. I say do what Gideon does. Come to God and completely yield to him in every way. You yield to God, no strings attached. He will use you. He will. And then we get a second confirmation. He's confirmed by a, here we go, a promise. A promise. And this is where we land on at Yahweh Shalom. The Lord accepts the offering. Verse 22. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, At last, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Gideon fully recognizes and understands who he's talking to. God responds, I'm guessing from heaven. But then the Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not Die, and now we get to our verse, verse 24. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it Yahweh Shalom. God is peace. And then he says, still there today, still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abazurites. Yahweh Shalom. What an interesting way to reveal that to us. The story begins... Gideon is far from shalom, right? He's in fear. He's got chaos all around him. He's hiding. And by the time we get to the very end, he's declaring Yahweh shalom. Real quick, the question is this, and we're gonna, this is it. How did that happen? 
What transpired? What transpired from being fearful in a pit and having no shalom to landing on a place where you're building an an altar and declaring Yahweh is shalom? What happened? Two simple things happened. First, I've already talked about it. Gideon submitted to the will of God. He submitted to the will of God, and he did the second thing. He worshiped him. He worshiped him. And church, this is what I'm going to say. That still works today. It does. I don't know, maybe you're not experiencing this shalom. Maybe you don't even know this God But I'm telling you right now, you submit to his will, you yield to him, and you worship him humbly, then you will experience Yahweh Shalom. Now, now real quick, things still going to be going crazy. Things may be crazy at your work. Things may be crazy in your home. Things may still be crazy all around you. I'm not saying they're not this craziness. But what I'm telling you is in the midst of it, you're going to experience Yahweh Shalom. Because God says, I am, I am the God of peace. And so I don't know where you might be. I don't know maybe in this whole text where you might be. We may be all over the place. Some of you may be in the pit right now. Say, I don't know this God. I'm not submitting to this God and I don't worship this God. And I sure don't got no shalom. I got the opposite of shalom. I don't know what that'll be, but that's what I got. Maybe you're on the other end. You're like, I've submitted to, accept it, repent it, believe, and worship. And I know this, Yahweh Shalom. I don't know where you're at, but my prayer is that you would not leave this place today without knowing him. He is good and he is faithful. The same God The same God that Gideon met in that pit is the same God that's here today. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.